Jesus Christ in heaven. Welcome back to Death Metal. Part three of Andre Chikatilo, buddy. You ready for it? Yeah. Episode number one, Andre Chikatilo, we went through his entire life cycle. What made him turn into this monster? Part two, we simply ran back through every single one of his victims and the method that he murdered them. Part three, we're going to get into how police set him up, how they caught him, and the trial of the century in Soviet Russia. So this 1990 Soviet Russia... It had just been the end of the Soviet Union. They just brought the wall down. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. That had just happened. So media between us and Russia was way more open. I don't think if this would have happened in the 1960s. I mean, the whole Andrei Chikatilo scenario. First of all, he wouldn't have had a trial. I think they would have just killed him, number one. And number two... I think that uh, none of the word of any of this would have ever traveled over anywhere else. I don't think that Russia would have wanted that to get out. I think the only reason that we have the luxury of looking back at Andrei Shikatilo is just the time frame we caught it in, man. It's just it being the end of the Soviet Union, a more transparent version of uh, Russia, Ukraine, that entire area. We just happened to glimpse into this magical period, so... Who knows what else had been going on with uh, Russia. There could have been tons of serial killers. Something that always compels me is that uh, during these older wars where you just had so much death anyway, I wonder how many rogue serial killers were out there just destroying everyone. Yeah. I mean, they're in Vietnam. I mean, uh, what's what's that fucking movie, man? Uh, Apocalypse Now, Apocalypse how that dude just like went off and like killed all those motherfuckers and just made his own parrot kingdom back there with the monkeys and shit. There had to have been some people like that who just got, I mean, well, look at like Richard Ramirez, his cousin that showed him all that. Yeah. All the pictures of like all the Asian women that he had tortured and raped afterwards and been like, look how cool this is, Richie. I mean, think about how much of that, I mean, we would have never heard about that was it not for Richard Ramirez being like, what an open asshole that he was yeah and telling a uh, telling everyone everything about his life so there had to have been so much of that going on in every country before you know any of this i mean we're just no way of getting out no way for the information to get out you know i so, think of anything man like the uh when he's caught in like the trial period i think it really documents like how the this Soviet Union just really failed in general. Like as much as shit as they tried to keep out of the media and things like that, I think that yeah. this particular trial documents how that's a failure. You yeah, know? no, you're totally right because a lot of the uh, it's like the schools that didn't want to report that Chikatilo or Chikatillo or however you say is now look we're we're Southern Americans and I say Chikatilla. Bless Chikatilo's heart, but the way it's like that, a the the way that they wanted to. Um, keep that under wraps because he was a communist. Uh, you know they didn't want that information to get out because it looked bad for everybody, and that was just ingrained in their mind from an early age. It, it was all about, you know, having this perfect person, everyone being a utilitarian same. And I mean, obviously, it never came to fruition. 
But you're totally right. Um, suppressing information is never the way to go. And, uh, you know, America's in a weird place like that What with the uh, end of the... Uh, oh God, dude, sometimes when I get focused on one thing, I can't think, what's the internet thing that just happened? Oh, net, net, net neutrality. Net neutrality, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you don't ever want... Uh, even though I don't fully understand that, I do know that you don't want to lose free. It's like a Patriot Act, you know? Yeah, yeah. You don't want to give up any freedoms that you're accustomed to having. So if you, even if, if you come where you don't have a lot of basic freedoms... Losing any of them is uh, detrimental for everyone's well-being. So I don't, you know, obviously the Soviet Union didn't work out, but that's what people don't want to be cramped like that. They don't want to fit into certain mold of things you have to do. You got to be X, Y, or Z. Need to know information, motherfucker. If somebody's outside killing and doing all these things, and there's these same type of things going on. You need the public to know so that they can identify things. Yeah, and that's one of the cool things about the uh, case that we're going to talk about today is just the way that the police finally ended up handling it as opposed to kind of ignoring it and sweeping it and not connecting it as a serial killer. Uh, I guess uh, kind of what I'm getting at, too, if you're watching YouTube, sorry for repeating myself, but we messed up our whole recording to start with, so we're going back into it. I I wasn't super proud of episode number two. When I left last week, I went home and took my temperature, and it was 106 degrees. Because <laughs> yeah. I took take an ice shower and uh, a bunch of ibuprofen to get my fever down. I was just super sick, and I didn't want to miss a week. And we went through all the uh, murders he committed, which was 56, so it became monotonous, you know. Yeah. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. If you didn't, thanks for being with us. Feeling a lot better this week. And I uh, did a lot of work on Part 3, so I'm really excited to get into it. Hey, man, and uh, dude, mad props, though, man, because, listen, there is no motherfucker I know that's hardworking as you. It's like somebody that's that sick comes and does a show, dude. Like, hey, man. Yeah, I mean, I've I'm, I'm got one thing I'm working towards, you know what yeah. I mean? And that is podcast supremacy. So that brings us into our next thing. Thank you guys so much for listening to us. I mean, that's first and foremost. This is a free podcast, and, you know, you're taking hours of your time to come into our world and listen to the way that we, I mean, there's a lot of true crime podcasts and uh, you're coming into our world and listening to the way that we feel about these things, the way that we give you the information back. You probably heard these stories before and you're in, just interested in our take on it. And I really appreciate that. I, ca- I can't, uh, you know, I, I look at the numbers of how many people listen to our podcast. I'm all, all overwhelmed every week. And I so much appreciate that. And I, I hate to feel like I'm asking for favors, but you know, we want to do better at this. We want to do it uh, more, you know, and that requires more time because like just this one episode, for example, it took hell. I mean, probably nine hours really of, uh, wow. re- you know, re- I'm reading and writing, I'm reading information and then I'm writing it down, you know, in my eyes and then I'm going to read it back and so that is just a lot of time. And I could have more free time to do it. And uh, I, I just, I, it's not, I'm not trying to sound like complaining, but I, I'm trying, you know, I'm also a stand up comedian. I'm just trying to make this my living. And uh, I can do better at all those things the more time that I have. And obviously, having to work other jobs and things like that take away from it. So uh, we've set up some things that will really help us get to that goal, um, you know, doing live shows and traveling and you know those things are one the easiest way to do any of this first of all is to 
get on, especially iTunes, but anywhere you listen to this podcast, and give us a five-star rating. Now, you don't have to write anything in particular in the comments. That part doesn't matter. It's just how many reviews a podcast has. That's what gives it the juice. So if we could get, we, we try to get sponsors, things like that, that can really ease our burdens. Um, those things come by way of having X amount of ratings and having a large social media presence. Now, I do, I mean, I do enjoy reading the comments only because it, like when I, when I see them, I'm like, man, this makes me want to push harder. <laughs> Like it makes me want to. It makes me want to deliver to you guys. Like, like you, you guys are important to us. Like, man, I I see things every day that makes me go, man, this is fucking worth it, dude. I love this shit. I yeah. Oh, well, I love the feedback. And beyond that, please reach out to us on any social media platform. If you guys just uh, say anything to us, it makes us feel tremendous. I mean, we we love like that's what that's really why we started doing this. Is that uh, we we know that there's way more people than us out there who love extreme music and love true crime conspiracies, horror movies. You know, there's a lot of people like that and we live in a small area. So we wanted to connect with other people like us outside of where we live and then also build up a community of people who are like-minded into the same thing. So we could, you know, branch out and go different places and hang out and, you know, make, connections yeah so that's a lot of the reason we do a podcast but i find out about new bands all the time because like people that we get in contact with like oh man that band you recommended is really awesome and then like they'll send something to me they'll be man this is you gotta check this out and i'll check it out i'm like dude this is fucking rad and that's man like being a metalhead is a lifestyle it's not like a fucking anything else you know it's yeah i mean it's like uh all the tape trading and stuff you hear about but we're at a point in the world now where information is so free to access we're basically information trading all the time yeah and so uh to keep the rambling down and get into the murder part of the episode uh because i know that's what you're here for uh yeah if you could give us a five-star review on anything that helps us a ton it's going to help us get sponsors it's going to help us get the word out. It's going to help people like you that stumbled upon us through whichever way you did. It's going to help more of you connect. I was looking at the stats this week. I saw some wild, like, we have a huge fan base in Canada. Who really? would have thought? Yeah, they, they, what's up, Canada? Uh, what's up, Australia? You know, just people out there. We got, like, 30 people listening to Norway, which is uh, it's not even an English-speaking first country. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. This rules, man. Uh, overwhelmed by it all, and so just to ask you is a burden on me. It feels weird, so that's all I'm saying. Uh, but the five star reviews are tremendous. Uh, if you feel like going even further beyond that, we have a Patreon set up. It's just a soft setup. So what you can do is you can go through and read through some of the rewards we offer now on tiers, which are things like giving you a shout out on every podcast, which we do at the end of the podcast. I mean, you are helping us so much, and when I get to reading those names, I mean, I'm so appreciative. Uh, that anybody would like what we're doing enough to kick us dividends. And it's not like uh, you know, it's unanswered. You know, I mean, we're not begging you for money. We give a service in exchange. So um, with the time, also, if you are a patron and you're on one of those tiers where you get a certain thing, like you get to suggest a murderer or a song, hit us with that because we'd love to do yeah. that episode for you. And if you're thinking on it, I, I totally understand that because it's a big deal. I mean, we're going to do an entire series on – uh, serial killer that you're into perhaps or a conspiracy or whatever uh, and on the other business end of that again if you live in northwest arkansas 
We will be at Bike Rack Brewing in Bentonville Sunday, January 28th, doing two shows. That's two live tapings of the podcast. Why? Because they're both going to be packed all the way full. It's a free show. Um, I get, I, I'm going to have the link on January 12th. I'll put that out. So next week when we do the podcast, I'll be able to tell you where to go to find that if you don't already follow us on social media. What to expect. It's going to be a comedy show. It's going to be Mark, our producer. It's going to be our friend Raj. I think he's doing comedy. I don't know. It's going to be me and Sam Talent. Sam Talent, uh, I'm sure if you don't listen every week, uh, he's a friend of mine. He's been on Comedy Central, been on Viceland, writes for Vice, writes for The Hard Times. Super funny guy. He's real goddamn funny, dude. And it's just, yeah, we're going to do a comedy show. Um, And if you want to come and you live in that area, because, again, they're both going to be packed, I want to make sure everyone there can go to the shows. There's not going to be any seats left at one of them. So when the link's up, you're going to have to go and reserve it. I want people that are really into the show to come more than I want people that are into, like, me and Sam. (laughs) Because uh, I want to get a cool podcast crowd. But what I'm getting at is make sure you hit that link and also don't go to both of them. Go to one or the other. The first show, <coughs> excuse me, the first show is uh, we're going to record the episode with Sam and we're going to do John Bonet Ramsey. Okay. And, uh, the, you know, these episodes are going to be patrons only. Now, I might put the Sam Talent out one on for free just so people know what a live podcast sounds like, maybe yeah, to get yeah. them more interested in the Patreon. And then the second one we're going to do with Raj Suresh, uh, and I can't remember what he said is the murder. He, he, there's a, a string of murders from India. He's Indian. Okay. And uh string of murders in India that he knows about. I looked it up, and it was wild. So we're going wow. to okay. do that one on the second show. So one or the other really just depends on what time frame you can get into. And also, uh, if you have never been to a live stand-up comedy show, uh, believe it or not, it's prepared material. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I write jokes and then take time to make them great jokes and then deliver them on stage. And that's going to be the same ones, the first and the second show. I feel like I didn't used to know that. Like when I would watch a stand-up comedy special on like Comedy Central, like or even like I, like uh, the first stand-up comedy I remember seeing is like Eddie Murphy Raw. Yeah, oh God, and I was man. like, he, he's a movie star and he's just fucking hilarious. So he's just walking out there and talking some shit. That's totally not the case. Uh, so it's going to be the same thing, the first and the second show, and then a live podcast. So you don't want to hit, you don't want to go to both. Is what I'm getting no, at. Yeah, You'll be okay. tired as fuck if you go to both of them. So one or the other, and on now Jan- if you if you're there to party. We'll party with you motherfuckers until dawn. Yeah, if you want to do it. I mean, if you want to do it, go ahead. But just know what you're getting into. I've, I'm going on about this for a long time. I'm real excited about it. We're all real excited about it. And we'll see you out there at Bike Rack Brewing on uh, Sunday, January 28th. We'll have that league for you next week. So, uh, yeah, thanks. We're going to get back into Andre Chikatilo. Now, of course, we know that he murdered 56 people in the Soviet Union during the peak of the Soviet Union's falling apart as they were coming. I mean, he grew up during Nazi occupation, saw some horrible shit, became a horrible person, and then really came through, not the other side as a productive human being, but you can watch the entire crumbling of the Soviet Union kind of happen while Andrei Chikatilo is developing and then becoming this massive serial killer. So he actually, to me, gives a really interesting timeline of the Soviet Union, Russia, Ukraine, how they fell apart, 
um, what Stalin did to the Ukrainians. You know, he intentionally starved them out. Uh, I, I know I covered that in depth on episode one, but it's just insane how you have this man um, who has this a preference for one area of the Soviet Union, and then you have this lush farmland. I mean, Ukraine is good farming; it's good land. And then he just intentionally took all the food that they had and took it away from them and then gave them the ability to earn a living and still forced them to grow that food and then gave it to the type of people that he preferred. And I think people look over that part of the Soviet Union a lot because it's overshadowed by Nazi Germany's genocide. But but the same thing was going on under Stalin. I mean, this is a terrible dictatorship. It was a rough regime. And this just gives you a good timeline of it because you watch how hard it was on Andre Chikatilo growing up. And that's the type of thing that gets bred in that environment. So, again, I just want there had to be more. And, you know, uh, a lot of times like uh, Otis Tool and uh, oh, my God, Tell Henry, uh, Henry. Oh. That's why I know I've like, uh, anyway, uh, portrait of a serial killer, Henry, Jesus, Lord God in heaven. One of the most infamous serial killers in American history. My brain's so dumb right yeah, now. Yeah, me too. Well, like get on one thing and I can't switch off from it. Anyway, Otis Tool and Henry fucking kill face. Uh, you know, he got caught killing maybe just a couple of people, but then blew this whole thing up to where he was working for a satanic cult that killed thousands of people just those two guys you know as a, and uh just took credit for all these different murders and so you'll see that Chigatilo could only be linked to 30 something murders and ended up taking credit for 20 something more he was able to collaborate with a lot more bodies but Henry Lee Lucas Henry Lee Lucas why couldn't i think exactly. of that man, man i, I feel am like a dumb, dumb as fuck i can't connect the pain to, to the, the brain. brain. I'm a Phoebe myself. And Mount St. Phoebus, what's your biggest <laughs> beers? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Andre Chikatilo's motivation, as you've heard in the first two episodes, was completely sexual. I mean, he could not get an erection, so he hated the outside world, uh, and he blamed that a lot on his shortcomings, which is... Uh, a classic scenario for people to blame their problems on other things, but he took it to the extreme nature of really weaponizing his sexuality. And that's what it boils down to. Um, <coughs> sorry. <coughs> you remember the murder started in 1978, and then 1984 is when he started going real hard. I mean, he just snapped. He killed the most people during that year, and that really intensified police hunting for a killer they come to terms with the fact that there was one person killing a ton of people. And what's funny, uh, I couldn't find a ton of information on exactly what led down that road, but they had captured a bunch of mentally impaired people. Is that the PC way of saying it these days? You mean Phoebes? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, and they had rounded a few of them up, and in, in separate clusters of murders had pe- like people that had no business talking to anyone about anything confess to like x y and z just because the way that the country was if you were like a police captain in charge of a certain area and all these crimes went on in your area not only could you be fired but you could be executed you know what i mean yeah you could not have failure on your hands so you had to have some sort of answer for the crimes that were going on so they had i mean and i told you the first episode that there was a gentleman that got executed wrongfully because of the first person that 
Andre Chikatilo kills because of his history of like yeah, I think he had like murdered and done or maybe he had raped somebody, he sexually assaulted somebody, sexually assaulted somebody. Yeah. But then they found some blood and they were like, oh yeah. And then really what it was <laughs> is like apparently this would mean Chris think happens is that they were just having some fucking weird ass period sex and fucking they found yeah. some blood in there. It's like, always right. period sex, man. Period sex, dude. You know, a lot of people are into that, which they'll never admit to, but they like it. That's what I got the most feedback about from the last episode. Really? I was I don't even remember talking about it, but uh, our friend Jerry, he messaged me the other day and he was like, I got to be honest with you. When Buddy started talking about a girl sucking clots off of his dick... I got nauseous. <laughs> I was Hell like, yeah. he was like literally nauseous. <laughs> I, like, I don't even remember that. I don't thing. really remember specifics, but hey, man, if you're sucking cloths off people's dicks, yo, props, son. Yeah. You, you got some you're mad skill. You are our number one. <laughs> well, not mine. Anyway, uh, it's September 13th, 1984, two undercover detectives noticed Chikatilo trying to talk to young women at the Rostov bus station. The detectives decided to follow Andre and observed him committing fraturism, which is rubbing your penis on people in public. Whoa. And so it's like, uh, basically what he was doing is just like going into a crowded area and then like putting his arms behind his back and then wiggling his fucking limp dick yeah, around on that. people. It's a, yeah, of course. It's Man, illegal, you, you bro. Gotta, oh, yeah. have That's you, a shit move. Have you ever done that? No. <laughs> You're a terrible person. Oh man, that'd be so uh, fucking funny. Given that this was illegal in public, the detectives pick him up and find out that he's carrying a knife and rope. He matched the physical description of the man seen with Dmitry Paskinov in March 1984, right before the boy's murder, which we went over in episode one. Police discovered that Chikatilo was under investigation for minor theft at one of his former employers, so this gave police the right to hold him for an extended period of time. In other words, the police that had him, he became part of the suspect pool for some of the murders, and they did not have concrete evidence to hold him on that but they called his former employers, and one of them told them that they were already speaking with the police in their area about him committing minor theft. So they held him there. And while they were holding him, they took his blood and they compared it to six semen samples taken from the bodies connected to the string of murders. Andre's blood tested type A, while the perceived killer's blood had been classified by medical examiners as AB. So they ended up charging Andre with the theft and put him in prison for a year, and they let him out in December. So he only served like three months of a year terms in American legal language. Now, I, I mean, I hate to go back to the period sex thing. Then don't. But hey, I'm going to. Do not. To. Yeah, listen, man. You know, when you're walking around, you're like, man, that person's huffing some red spray paint. That yeah. is because they have sucked the dick of somebody that has fucked your period badge. So the first question I have about that, all right, actually the, the first question is why did you bring it up again? The second question is when have you ever seen someone walking around under suspicion of huffing paint? I mean, I'm, I mean, I've seen it in and out at my old job, but like, uh, 
Just say never and move on with it. No, there's no never because I saw my other job. But then, like, you know, you get close to him. You're like, man, you smell like a railroad track. I don't know what the fuck's <laughs> going like on. a railroad track? Yeah, man. It was, like, super hot metal. You know, like, oh, <laughs> fuck, dude. And Yo, then so you, you smell like twisted metal, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> hey, bitch, you sound like Power Glove Saxon. <laughs> oh, my God, man. What's that clown's name in twisted metal? Who knows? Somebody, you fucking mutant. Yeah, probably the person lives across from me that I fucking can't stand because our kid sucks. Twisted Metal, man. That was a cool... They, remember the one with Rob Zombie on it? Yeah, Twisted Metal Black. Is that what it was? Probably. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> God. Oh, man, I can't see it. Sweet Tooth. That's his name. Sweet Tooth. Sweet Tooth. That was the clown. Yeah, it was like an ice cream truck, dude. You could do Sweet Tooth versus Rob Zombie. It's a fun ass video game. I don't. There's not a lot of video games I've liked. In fact, and well, my man, Lao Boo, who really do to you? Never gonna <laughs> stop me. Yeah, what did it just played? Uh, that video game would just play Dragula over, and that was the worst part of it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Man, through the ditches and man, man, I'm in this and I'm in that back and and it was PlayStation One, so it didn't play like the whole song. It was just like that. It was like that part would be like. Do it, baby. Do it, baby. You remember the first time you saw, like, the, like, I got picked up an issue of Thrasher Magazine, saw the, saw the fucking, uh, the advertisement for that album, and I was so fucking scared, dude, when I saw that. The album looked like it was gonna be hard, but it was dog shit, man. man. And then it was like a combination. I I, I like White Zombie, and that was a problem with Rob Zombie. I mean, especially because I was shit. How I mean, I was probably eight when uh, White Zombie was uh, like I saw White Zombie on Beavis and Butthead, yeah. And whatever song that they were playing was hard as fuck, and Man, so it, I was with it. And uh, I had that I had Astro Creep, whatever. Uh, and I, I, I'm I'm literally in third grade. That's when I had Astro Creep because oh, one right. of the neighbors had it and he didn't like it and he gave it to me. Come to find out, the reason that he didn't like it and gave it to me is because there's that one song with all the fucking up top where right. that, you could hear that girl. And that's why pounded. you liked it. I mean, <laughs> that's why everyone liked it. But the yeah. thing was, his parents heard it and got super mad about oh, it. And yeah. he said it was mine. He was and like, so, it's not mine, it's his. So and he did he you a favor. Yeah, and then you could also not hang out with that guy yeah. anymore because he sucked. It was Hell all perfect, yeah. dude. So yeah. uh, I liked that shit. And then that album came out. And I, even at, and that was one of the first things. I ever heard that I was like, fuck this. I, you know, like we used to buy CDs when you were a kid and you were stuck with that motherfucker because I was, I could only get a CD like once a month about was the time because they were like 20 bucks. And, uh, the only place I could get unedited CDs was at target. And so you had to go pretty far to get, or maybe it was Kmart. I think it was actually Kmart. Kmart, dude. dog. Yeah, because Walmart had. Because they had sugar and shit. Yeah, and you're like, like, hey, brother. Yeah, Walmart had edited CDs, but yeah, Kmart didn't have edited CDs. Or they had both versions. They had to, like, look yeah. at it. And so that Rob Zombie album was that. And so um, I had to, like, make a, I had to, like, make a case to where we would go to Kmart and then I would be alone with 20 bucks. And if that cost less than 20 bucks, I would be able to buy it. And I did that with Rob Zombie. And I took it to my house and I snuck down to my room and I put that shit on and was pissed. And I was like, fuck. All right, well, maybe I'll try it again. And I hated that album so much. Yeah. And in fact, I gave it to the kid that gave me Astro Creed 2000. Man, there so many and I told him it was awesome. <laughs> the culmination of that whole thing was when Kurt Russell made a comeback and he was like, I'm going to do uh, Escape from L.A., so Escape from L.A. is essentially Twisted Metal, the video game. <laughs> so, I love that shit. That's yeah, a great-ass yeah. movie. 
Um, but yeah, so again, they tested his blood. He ended up getting out of jail in December of 1984. Andre, uh, you know, he had to earn a living again. He, he was, uh, now I, I couldn't find what had happened with his marriage. I think his marriage dissolved and I hate this. I'm pretty sure his marriage, remember how he bought that house for himself? Um, and again, the, the timeline between the three episodes is weird because I gave, I couldn't do this and all the victims in one episode. There's yeah, no yeah, way yeah, it's yeah, too yeah. long. It would be like four hours. So he broke it up into two and the time where we're at now is when he's, you know, in the shack. Like he's not so much a part of family life anymore. And him and his wife never had a regular relationship. So they probably stayed together. And that was another thing too, is that the uh, Russia had this Puritan way about it. You weren't getting divorced all the time. You weren't out openly having sex. Remember, you were relaxing with people. Yeah. You weren't allowed to just talk about boning and get you. You weren't supposed to be getting drunk all the time. It's like a Puritan. Everyone does that stuff, but it's behind closed doors. So you had like the fifties in America. You know, you had a lot of marriages that were totally in the shit pot, but they couldn't go out and get a, a divorce because it would look bad within the community, right? Yeah. So Andre ends up going back to work at a locomotive factory and he keeps a low profile. He does there's not another murder from October 1984 and all the way until August of 1985. And the next one was the murder of Natalia Polakostava, which is the woman that he stabbed 38 times and strangled to death in the woods near Domodedovo Airport. And look, another thing I don't think that I did a good job explaining in episode 2 the way of the murder is that, like, that's what they die from. 70% of these murders, he ripped their eyes out. Yeah. And if you, and also when they had been stabbed multiple times, a lot of times he would cut from their genitals all the way up to their mouth. And a lot of the male murders, he removed their genitals. Now, all this is after death, but the, that, that is where they had to stop lying to themselves about it being a serial killer. And just like in America, man, remember how long it took America to come to terms with the fact that there was serial killers. You know, they called it was like them like 1960s. Yeah, 70s. I mean, they called them like pattern killers at first, and you had already had you know five or six of them. But of course, there's that Netflix show My Hunters, which I actually liked a lot, man. It yeah, did a pretty great, good job. Dude. But yeah. it's based on the book by the dude that came up with all that stuff, with all the like kind of using psychology uh, to relate to figure out what made the people work. And, uh, you know, he started off with, uh, it basically just breaks down is, is evil, uh, this entity that just comes into people or is, is evil something that is created because of your background, because of where you, you know, your social structure, the way you're raised, things like that. And that, you know, evil in and of itself is not this fucking, it's not Satan, you know, it's not like what people think right, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the, uh, going to hell, bad side of the church. I mean, it's just another side of humanity and it often manifests itself uh, in people that have been in, uh, less fortunate circumstances. November of 1985 is when he killed Issa Kostyov. Uh, I'm sorry. November of 1985 is when Issa Kostyov became the lead investigator on the case, which is now a team of 15 procurators and 29 detectives. And a a procurator is like a agent, you know, it's like a, it's, you know, how an FBI agent, um, they're a detective, but also they're reaching a lot further than a normal detective would to gather 
as much information. And then the way the Soviet Union worked is that every single government position was, it's all bureaucracy. So it's all split up in different files. So if you had a police station, you know, the person in charge would be like the president or the dictator of the police station. And then you have all these different people under them. So like a procurator is going to be the person that is outside of that type of system inside of another bureaucracy that would be gathering the information from all the other smaller bureaucracies. So essentially someone who's getting all the information from each individual police station and putting it together. So you have 15 of that type of person working on it and 29 special detectives working on it. And that is that many people because it's so spread out. Remember he was going to all these different towns never flying, always taking a bus or a train. And uh, in Soviet Russia at the time, there you didn't have to present an identification. There was no name on your ticket. And I'm sure it's still like that in America. I, I, I mean, uh, if I like, uh, the last time I rode a train was uh, when I was in Chicago and I had to, I had a show in the city one night and then in the suburbs the next night. And it was like a 90 minute train to get from one to the other. And so it wasn't the regular city transit. It was state transit, which ran through Amtrak. So I had to go to this separate, larger train station. And then it's essentially like an airport would be because there's a ton of people waiting in one area to get on the bus and then ride it out of town. So, But you just go buy a ticket at the counter. They don't check your ID or anything because it's just a train, you know? Yeah. So there's no proof of who's been where. Now, if you fly somewhere... Which back then and still today, flying in Europe is way cheaper. So a lot of people would commute. I mean, Russia is huge. So that when the Soviet Union was all together, it was huge. So if you wanted to get from like Moscow to Kiev, Ukraine or whatever, I mean, you would take a flight and it would be cheap as shit. But you would have to record that you had been on the flight. So he knew to travel by a lower form of public transportation where there was no record of it. He would just do that. And of course, you know, from the second episode, that's where he killed a majority of his people were around train and bus stations. As far as documented, I mean, the, some people think that he killed way more than that, man. And that's uh, kind of what I was getting at at the top of the podcast is that I am almost certain that there was other serial killers doing the exact same type of shit in the Soviet Union at the same time. And again, because information didn't travel, uh, the the media when in the eighties was a lot more expansive. The government did not squeeze it near as tight, but when he was first killing people in the seventies, not a word of it got out. Yeah. There was not newspaper articles about it. No radio about it. No TV about it. I mean, no one had TVs in Russia in the seventies. In the 80s, when the grip started loosening, you know, and Russia was trying to work its way away and then back into, like, the normal world instead of trying to be its own world, they loosened their grip a lot on the media. So, I mean, that's going to come up here in a second on this um, with, as far as Andre knowing about the murders. But, uh, fuck, I lost my train of thought, my guy. Um, did you get a phone call? Is that what happened? No, my phone just started wigging the fuck oh, out. Okay. Um, anyway, so let's just go back to this. Um, so what, what this team started to do now, they had done a lot of this before, 
But what they started to do as a collective group working together all the way across the Soviet Union is they, they began to question and re-question known sex offenders and homosexuals, which is a real sketchy practice, you know? That's why a lot of people, I'm sure, were closeted. I mean, people were just used to keeping things secret in the Soviet Union because you didn't want your business that was not Puritan-related to be out in the world. You know, if you any seedy thing you did, you didn't want anyone to know about it because without there being a loose media, people gossip, and gossip will kill you in this day and age that we're talking about now. So it, it's absolutely, you know, atrocious that... Unfortunately, at this point in the history of the Soviet Union, <coughs> and shit, man, I think it's actually still illegal to be a homosexual in Russia. So, if you were one then, they would just shake you down anytime something happens. So, we're looking right here how uh, police are just interviewing people as a possible serial killer simply because they're gay. <laughs> and uh, the police were also starting to take female police officers, the younger ones that might look like they would fit into this guy's MO and having them go to local uh, train and bus stations in, in plain clothes, not in uniform to try to blend in and just kind of surveil things, you know, and see if they noticed anybody that was falling into these patterns without shaking them up with a police uniform out there. And at first in the Soviet Union, um, this this is one of the major breakthroughs that I was talking about as the Soviet Union progressed more. They gave a psychiatrist, Dr. Alexander Bukhanovsky, full access to the files to create a psychological profile of the killer they're looking for. And this shit is crazy to me, especially since this is a newer science in Soviet Russia in the 1980s. Bukhanovsky told police that they were looking for a man in his 40s or 50s who had endured a painful childhood and was incapable of flirting or courtship with women. He was likely of average intelligence, likely to be married and to have fathered children, but also a sadist who suffered from impotence and could achieve sexual arousal only by seeing his victim suffer. Yep. The murders themselves were an, an an analog to sexual intercourse. This individual was incapable of performing and his knife became a substitute for a penis which failed to function normally because many of the killings that occurred on weekdays near mass transport hubs and across the entire Rostov Oblast, Bakanovsky had argued that the killer's work required him to travel regularly and based upon the actual days of the week when the killings had occurred, he was part of a production schedule, and, you know, that part was all he got wrong. Like, all that major shit totally hit home with Chikatilo. Yeah. And they had no idea that it was him. So, again, this is a big deal because much like when us in America, the FBI, started realizing that there were these people that just became this certain monster and start killing people in secession and created a pattern and and could go for long periods of time doing these horrible crimes without remorse. Finally, the Soviet Union in the mid-80s is adapting this and catching up to something that, you know, we have been doing since the 60s. What they do is they, what it used to be like is uh, it's the same stigma with drug addicts. 
is that it's only it's only scumbags that do shit like this. Yeah. And so what it is is they didn't understand the fact that the prefrontal cortex has a lot to do with the development of how you are attacked normally. It has to do with empathy. It has to do with these other things. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you don't develop that in the right way, you have the risk of becoming somebody with antisocial personality disorder. Yeah. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a psychopath. The difference between a psychopath and a sociopath is a sociopath is somebody that will fuck you over in a job. They don't give a, they have, they don't understand, uh, empathy and things like that. Now, psychopaths take that a step further is where they get off on the fact that they not only do they not understand, empathy but they get off on the fact that you are in pain they love that you're in pain yeah they don't understand that you're suffering they don't get that shit yeah. so they torture animals they <laughs> torture people they they do all this other stuff that's very sadistic but to them it's normal you know and then and then they kind of try to go back and go wait a minute why am i doing this other people don't do this and they try to justify it and they're like oh wait a minute you know i'm i'm a higher intelligence than everybody else yeah there's the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath and so this old way of thinking of like only scumbags do this shit is really what deteriorated this entire investigation from the get-go until yeah. they decided to go hey maybe we should you know really look into more modern things yeah yeah and yeah and, and you know america was the same way too and and but a sociopath is going to be the type of person that uh, if they don't fall down this path is who is super successful. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm I would be willing to wager that probably 80% of the world's top CEOs are a sociopath. Yeah. Because a lot of times you got more. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm just being safe. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you yeah. know, if you if you to get to that level, you got to shit on a lot of people and uh I don't think it's necessarily what would separate someone like me or you from that, but I think that it really aids you as uh, only worrying about yourself going to the the upper echelon of this, and the wake that you put off behind you is of no concern. It never even crosses your mind. I think that that benefits you a lot in a lot of things. I mean, people that uh, I know that I've I've trained in combat sports with. Any of them that I would think like this person is probably a sociopath, way further excel than anything I could oh, have yeah, ever for done. Sure, for sure, and that also is because it seems to shut off, like uh, the you know if I, I if I'm if I wake up and I I don't feel good, it's easy for me to talk myself out of going to the gym or something. The, uh, people that I know that seem to be a sociopath, they don't even have a, a thought like that in their brain. They just know what they want, and they'll do anything to themselves or anyone else to get to that point. And to a degree, they they themselves enjoy their own suffering. Yeah, they yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that's know. a good point too. But yeah, man. I mean, uh, so yeah, I would say a lot of times that these people and in, in the serial killers that we've covered, basically everyone except Richard Ramirez had a pretty good job. Yeah, I mean, they had were. Uh, have bounced, and that's another thing I've noticed too, is that they bounce between a lot of different careers. Because anywhere where they've let even like a little peep of them true self out, they've totally abandoned that whole thing and gone down a different road. And no one ever likes them either. Yeah, they they never have friends, and, and that's not for well. I mean, we haven't done John Wayne Gacy yet, but some people liked him, but he didn't have like friends. He was hanging out with kids and shit mostly. Um, but yeah, you just have a caustic personality. People you can influence, right? And 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 that's because they're co- becoming like a currency to you, people. You know, like they, you don't really, 
like we we're friends with each other because uh, we have similar interests and we enjoy we enjoy each other's company. If you don't have that thing in your brain that you enjoy someone else's company, you just want them around because of like how it helps you or whatever. You just don't connect with people. Yeah, if you try to justify, well, they're my friends, but then you're like, you have to. The question you always ask a sociopath or a psychopath is like, okay, so they're your friends. What do you do to help them out? Do you, when you help them out, is it to benefit you or is it to benefit that person? And so, that's a that's a really hard one to answer for some of them because they have to sit back and they have to analyze that question. I feel like I'm fucking, I feel like I've got a whole horse's load in my throat. <laughs> I mean, it's just like a big goopy mess in there. God damn. Like a, like a college gangbang. Yeah. Like Debbie drinks 80 comes. <laughs> guessing who's the dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the stories of the of a killer and his modus operandi began to appear in newspapers, and Andre followed along closely. The next murder he commits, he'll be trying to do things differently because he's reading about what they're trying to do to catch the killer in the paper. And it, here's a good example. As you'll remember, 18-year-old Iriana Pogarilova, uh, that's where that's the body where he had dug a deep grave and tried to bury her. And I want to say deep, you know, a lot of these murders, he just left them where they were at. Like he raged, stabbed him, cut their eyes out and maybe put some leaves over him. But he never put a lot of effort into like digging a hole. You know what I'm saying? And so this one he did. He really tried to hide the body. And that was right after a big story come out in the newspaper and uh, that was out on a collective farm in the city of Batarisk. Police found her on August 18th, 1986, which was the first body that they found in almost a year. And with the characteristics of Chikatilo, you know, she had her eyes removed, uh, cut from mouth to genitals, and one breast removed. Thanks, man. Uh, his first murder of 87 was 12-year-old Olave Makarinikov, and he only killed the... Uh, he ended up only killing two other boys that year, which was leaving police to think that the killer had gone all the way cold or died or something. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Uh, in 1990, Andre is linked to nine of his murders. Um, he had been getting comfortable again. And this prompted Victor Burakov, who we talked about in the first episode. Uh, he was one of the uh, more on the case detectives to try another plan which was to place a large uniform police presence at the main train and bus stations to discourage the killer from even being around those and then try the tactic of putting non-uniform po- female police officers in smaller train stations. That way it would be easier to notice the killer's actions. So they're trying to funnel this dude from walking around and rubbing his dick on kids and women in the big areas where it's harder to notice that sort of thing to rubbing his dick on women and children in a smaller area where they can notice that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it's so weird, baby, because you're not like the back then they thought they're like, oh, well, they only like this. They only like women. The serial killers only like women. They don't like men. Oh, or, no, no, Or no, no, boys no, no, like no. that to a degree. You know, they, they really did. Remember did. he was killing all those boys and shit. Yeah, so. that's what I'm saying. That's why interviewing homosexuals. That's what I'm saying is that the the police the police and these, like, officials, that's what they were getting at. It was like the serial killers only like this one thing. Oh. But, oh, I the, see what you're saying. But I'm the sorry. one thing that they, that they don't understand is that the one thing that, that turns them on is pain and suffering and all these other things. So that 
it has nothing to do with a dick or a pussy. It has to do with suffering. How? Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. I cut you up. You think, uh, what, what, if you, in this area of time, probably the highest enjoyment I could have got is going to see, like, Man of War live. You know what I mean? Just, yeah, and then uh, that's the same way that this guy felt about cutting someone's tits off. Yeah, man. Whoa, like, yeah. Here tonight to kick some goddamn ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Woo, brother. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's getting comfortable again, and they're putting the female officers plain clothes in the smaller train stations. They've got uniformed police officers, so he's got to change his his movements up. He can't be going to the big ones; he's got to go to the little ones, um, and. <clears throat> Once the plan went into effect, this same week, police discovered the body of 16-year-old Vadim Gromanov. He'd been strangled, stabbed 27 times, and then castrated. And he had been killed before... I'm sorry. He had been killed before the plan went into effect. And they, Yeah, that's what I was saying. They found his body like a week after. So... They're really trying to tighten their grip right now. And, you know, they, they, they're they at a point... I mean, we're talking about the late 80s now, so they can tell when a body was killed and everything like that. So this really gives everyone who's now on this current mission, like, vigor. They're like, all right, guys, look at this shit right here. We have got to get this motherfucker. We cannot allow this shit to keep happening. Um, right after this happened, police observed Andre at a train station with 10-year-old Victor... Tish Kinko and on November 3rd and his body was found with 40 knife wounds in it. Oh, sorry. His body was found on November 3rd with 40 knife wounds. Now this is at a station. Police observed him. They didn't know he was a suspect, but they saw a man leave with a boy. So the description of the man with the boy was written out and turned in as normal paperwork. So once they found the body of the boy, they looked back at that paperwork and saw the description of the man. No name. You know, they didn't know it was Andre Chikatilo. But now police have an idea. Okay, we're looking for this type of body. All right. So November 6th, police spot Andre Chikatilo approaching a well to wash his face at a station. As he approached, the undercover cop reported that Andre had grass stains on his suit and a red smear on his face. And the part of woods that he was coming from was generally only visited by people that were hunting wild mushrooms, and it was not mushroom season. Plus, Chikatilo was wearing a suit and had a nylon gym bag that wouldn't have been suitable for carrying wild mushrooms in. So the officer stopped him and wanted to check his papers, but had no actual reason to arrest him. When the officer's shift was over, they went back to the station and filled out a report about stopping Chikatilo and asking him what the hell he was doing out in the woods. On November 13th, police discover Svetlana Korostik's body in the woods. He had come out, or they discovered her body in those woods that he had come out of. So, again, now there's a police report. They find that body. They go back to those files from that time frame, and now they have Andre Chikatilo's name, and in that same report is the description. So, not only do they have his name, the description of his body, but they send this to detectives, and detectives immediately recognize the name Andre Chikatilo because, of course, he had been arrested the one time before in connection to the string of murders. He fits the age 
and body type that the other officer had reported. So they're starting to get a pretty good idea that this might be the guy. And uh, he was on the list of suspects. So police ended up taking that information and contacting his former employers to find out he had been fired from teaching for, you know, his lewd conduct with students and sexually assaulting students at the second school. And I'm surprised at this time that the, these cops didn't go and kick the shit out of the, the school officials because they kept it totally under wraps. Yeah. I mean, if they would have known that on the, the, the first time he got arrested, if they would have known about this shit right here, then it would have been over probably, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because he was like, I mean, he ends up confessing. So he was teetering on the whole thing. Like he didn't give any more information than he had to the first time. But if I would have been that detective and I heard that this shit happened and they kept it quiet because they didn't want the communist party or school look bad. Yeah, I would have kicked the shit out of them. If I was one of those grizzled cops who's like not only trying to prevent murders, but they're under the gun. Like they have to make this happen or they're going to get fucked up. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it, Soviet Russia is a tough place, dude. Um, uh, cough real quick. Sorry. <coughs> Fuck being sick. The bogus man. Uh, police began surveil sur- doing surveillance on Andre the next day, which is of course, November 14th, 1990 on several occasions, particularly on trains or buses. He was seen approaching lone women or children and engaging them in conversation. If the woman or child broke off the conversation, Andre would just stand there and wait a few minutes and then move to another woman or child. Which is terrifying. You just now you're getting the picture of how he works. He's just going to public areas and standing around being a creepy asshole, and then trying to talk to whatever woman or child that he can. It's like going out to the deer woods for him, man. It's like a sitting up in the deer stand, just kind of waiting. Me like, oh man, here's this this little baby deer, you know, and just fucking Bambi comes walking up and then the mom comes up and then he's just waiting for dad because he wants yeah. those fucking horns, man. He wants the fucking antlers. That motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, give me that so, shit, dude. So it's like one doesn't work out. He just moves to the next one. Yeah. You know? But well, that's such a wild thing to be going on. And, uh, it just shows the fucking incompetence of these police too, because if, I mean, he is looks creepy as fuck. Like when you get to see pictures of Andre Chikatilo, he is a ridiculous looking individual. I mean, his face, just the way that he talks and moves is not what a normal person would do. You there's know what like, I mean? There's like three type man. Here, here's the thing, man. If you feel like you need to have some justifiable means to be able to go, man, how do I profile somebody who does things like this to kids or, you know, whatever. I mean, you definitely look at their facial features. You go look at this weird, weak ass mustache they got. It looks like some fucking shitty ass fucking pit hair. Then you go, okay, <laughs> what the fuck, man? And then you go, wait a minute, is he wearing khakis? And they're like, kind of uh, yeah, a little high dude. up with some white socks. Yeah, why then, are your why is your fucking shirt tucked in at at two in the? You ain't at work, fucker. You just tucking your shirt in for the, what? You got a braided belt on? That's the type of person you are. Yeah. Well, why are you talking to kids for, my guy? Yeah, you got a real fat fucking wallet. With a bunch of business cards that you just don't even give a shit about. But then you have to... Then this is where it really kicks in. There's three type of shoes that the motherfucker's going to be wearing. Nike Monarchs. Uh-huh. Fucking Shape Ups. Uh-huh. Oh, man. I, well, I think that's out of the equation. They ain't making Shape Ups. Now Shape Ups are rare enough that they're fucking cool. <laughs> oh, they're getting on eBay and buying this shit. <coughs> and then you got the fucking New Balances. The, you know what I'm talking about? The Navy. Oh, yeah. Basically, the Navy lettering with the whites. the Air Monarch, but the New Balance version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or, you know, those one shoes that's like, uh, I don't even know how to describe them. They're, they're kind of like a boat shoe on top, but they have a sole. Yeah. Like a real thick sole, like a janitor shoe. Yeah. 
the, that's one that I would profile in that too. I I can do. I get so mad if some if an adult talks to one of my kids. That shit infuriates me. Cause why the fuck are you talking to a kid? You know what I mean? When uh, we first had my daughter, we were in Kroger one time, and I like turned around to grab some fruit, and this fucking guy, like you know those uh, shopping carts that look like a car. Yeah. And they can sit in the car part. So she's like in the car part. And he's got, I just turned around for a second. I turned back around. He's got his head in that talking to her. So I pulled my hand back and smacked the shit out of his ass as hard as I could. And he like tried to stand up. You just made his, him hotter, man. <laughs> dude, his head bonked the inside of the car. And I fucking leg kicked him. And he fell over and was all crying and shit. And his daughter came up and he was like, he just loves kids. I was like, yeah, I know it's the fucking problem. Why is your dumbass dad out here? And then like the security guy from the store came up and was like, do I need to call the police? And I was like, dude, go ahead and call him. This guy had his head stuck in my kid. And the guy's like, oh, it's no problem. It's no problem. Like, yeah, it's no problem because you fuck kids. And that's why it's no problem. Yeah. That shit's that, weird, man. dude. It's Don't, weird. Why would you? I mean, if you look, I'm sure a lot of weird people listen to this podcast. Do not talk to a child <laughs> ever. No. Shut the fuck up around kids, man, because it's stuff like this. That's all I can think about. It's kind of, it's kind of like it's one thing. Like if a kid like comes up and approaches you, you kind of like you keep it short with them, but you're like let them know. Like I'm friendly enough to like, you know, I know you're a kid. Sure, yeah. Let's try to find your mom. Whatever. Oh, it's like oh hey buddy. But then like if you are fucking going out of your way to talk to a kid, you're sus as fuck, son. Oh man, I dude. I mean that I I probably handled that situation the wrong way, but I just makes me so. Like, because of shit like this. Yeah. Because this guy is a creepy old dude. Now, people think he's is nice. Like, on first impression, they're like, oh, like a friendly guy just out here talking to everybody. He's old. You that, know, fuck yeah. that shit, man. Like, I hate that type of person. And there's a reason why. There's a reason why that I don't feel comfortable around people that are just saying hello to everybody. Because they're doing weird shit like this, man. Yeah. That's, that's just the way to break into it. Uh, on November 20th. Six days after they started surveillance on him, uh, they've been watching him around the clock. Chikatilo left his house with a big jar of beer and began trying to make contact with children. Police were like, you know what? Fuck this. That's enough. Four plainclothes police officers ended up arresting Andre and taking him into the station. Good. So, yeah, they set a trap for him. Um, You know, he fell for it because what they were trying to do was look at people who were making contact with women and children for no fucking reason. And then there he is. And then he was coming out with beer, trying to talk to kids and that, you know, and that was another thing too, is that in a lot of the autopsies, I know I said this in the second episode, so it's a little crossover, (coughs) but you know, a lot of it was poor. I mean, it's a shitty time in, in, in Soviet Russia. So a lot of times he's bribing people with meals and beer and shit. Like they would find kids that were dirty ass kids and they would have a belly full of food that they wouldn't have normally had, you know? So it was just easy for him to pick people off like that. Uh, upon his arrest, Chikatilo gave a statement claiming that police were mistaken and complained that he had also been arrested in 1984 for the same series of murders. A strip search of Andre revealed a further piece of evidence. One of Chikatilo's fingers had a flesh wound. Medical examiners concluded that the wound was from a human bite. Chikatilo's... Pentolment victim Victor Tishikino was a physically strong youth. At the crime scene, the police had found numerous signs of a ferocious physical struggle between him and his murderer. Although a finger bone was later found to be broken and his fingernail had been bitten off, 
Chikatilo had never sought medical treatment for his injuries. And again, we talked about that in the second episode, how he had bit Chikatilo's finger. A search of Andre's belongings revealed he had been in possession of a folding knife and two lengths of rope. A sample of Chikatilo's blood was taken and placed in a cell inside the KGB headquarters in Rostov with a police informer who was instructed to engage Chikatilo in conversation and elicit any information he could from him. The next day, the 21st of November, formal questioning of Andre began. The interrogation was performed by the lead investigator, Isa Kostyev. The strategy chosen between police and Chikatilo began. The inter- um, God damn, dude. Um, yeah, I'm just losing it, dude. Um, Uh, they police began to believe that he was a very sick man in need of medical help the intention was to give chikatilo hope that if he confessed he would not be prosecuted by reason of insanity police knew that their case against chikatilo was largely circumstantial and under soviet law they had 10 days in which they could legally hold a suspect by either charging or releasing him which is not that different than America. You know, people try to plead insanity all the time. And we've talked about this also with various serial killers that we've covered. It's uh, police can absolutely lie to you in America to make you confess. They yeah. can tell you whatever the fuck they want to. That's why they read you your rights beforehand. They say anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. They don't tell you they're going to fucking lie to you about everything. You know, that's why if you didn't do anything wrong and you're ever interviewed by police, shut the fuck up. If you didn't do anything wrong, it doesn't matter. You don't have anything to say about it. It, 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 First things first. If you're innocent, demand a lawyer because they are trained to just lead you down a path and make things sound you know, like, okay, well, if you didn't do anything, just say, uh, you know what we're talking about and we'll let you go home. It's all bullshit, you know? So that, but that's how that's, you know, good police work. And that's how they've set him up once they finally got a hold of him this time throughout the questioning, Chickatillo repeatedly denied that he had committed the murders. Although he did confess to molesting his pupils during his career as a teacher. He also produced several written essays for Kostiev which, although evasive regarding the actual murders, did reveal psychological symptoms consistent with those predicted by Dr. Buskanovsky in 1985. The interrogation tactics used by Kostiev may also have caused Chikatilo to become defensive. The informer sharing a KGB cell with the suspect reported to police that Chikatilo had informed him that Kostyov had repeatedly asked him direct questions regarding the mutilations inflicted upon the victims. On the 29th of November, at the request of Burakov and Fistyov, Dr. Alexander Bukas, whatever, the fucking doctor that I've been talking about the whole time, the psychiatrist who had written the 1985 psychological profile of the then-unknown killer, was invited to assist in the questioning of the suspect. Bukhanovsky reads extracts from a 65-page psychological profile to Chikatilo. Within two hours, Chikatilo burst into tears and confessed to Bukhanovsky that he was indeed guilty of the crimes for which he had been arrested. After conversing into the evening, Bukhanovsky reported to 
Burakov and Fistioff that Chikatilo was ready to confess. Let's give it up for science, all right? <laughs> this yeah. doctor came in and just outsmarted this moron. Armed with the handwritten notes Bokanovsky had prepared, Issa Kostyev prepared a formal accusation of murder dated the 29th of November, the eve of the expiration of the 10-day time period during which Chikatilo could legally be held before being charged. Just in the nick of time, this doctor came in, made friends with him, and tried to nicely talk it out with him, and then he ended up spilling the beans on his ass, my man. Woo! That's good doctrine right there. Yep. Fucking police, once again, worthless. Yeah. <laughs> um, the following morning, the 30th of November, Issa Kostyev resumed the interrogation. According to the official protocol, Chikatilo confessed to 34 of the 36 murders police had linked to him. Although he denied two additional murders committed in 1986, the police had initially believed he had committed one of whom was Lubalov Golakavaka, found stabbed to death on the 23rd of July, 1986, and whom investigators had serious doubts about leaking to the manhunt. The second was 18-year-old Iriana Pogorilovi, God damn Russia, found murdered in Batagisk, 18th of August, 1986, whose mutilation closely matched those inflicted upon other Victims linked to the manhunt. That's the girl that he went, took to the farm and tried to bury in a hole because he thought he was being slick. You know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah. he had been reading about what they were looking for. And Chikatilo would later specify in an outburst at his trial that he had indeed killed her. And he referred to her by name in his outburst. Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just hilarious. I mean, it's not hilarious. It is hilarious. This guy's fucking, you know, obviously he's... Totally crazy. Living in a fantasy world. And it's just so funny that they would sit down and he would confess to 34 of the 36 murders that he was accused of at the time. And one of the ones he tried to keep secret was the one where he thought he was being the, a fucking smart guy tricking police because he read a newspaper article about the type of crimes that the murder was committing. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, smooth, buddy. But it gives you a, you know a pretty good look into his mental state. Yeah. And we had talked about the whole time, how he thought he was smarter than everyone else, which is some psychopath shit. You yeah. Know? Uh, Chikatilo gave a full detailed description of each murder on the list of charges, all of which were consistent with known facts regarding the killing. When prompted, he could draw a rough sketch of various crime scenes, indicating the position of the victim's body and various landmarks in the vicinity of the crime scene. Additional details provided further proof of his guilt. One victim on the list of charges was a 19-year-old student named Anna Limasheva, whom Chikatilo had killed July 19, 1984, near Sakati Station. Chikatilo recalled that as he fought to overpower her, she had stated that a man named Bars would retaliate for his attacking her. Limasheva's fiancé had the nickname Bars tattooed on his hand. I noticed, this is Chikatilo's words, I noticed that a girl, 12 or 13, was coming behind me carrying some kind of bag in her hand. I slowed down and let her catch up to me. We walked together beside the woods. I started talking to her about whatever I thought might interest her. I remember she said she was going home from the store. 
I pushed her off the road, grabbed her by the waist, and dragged her into the woods. I pushed her onto the ground, tore off her clothes, and lay on her. At the same time, I was stabbing her, imitating sex. Wow. Which, you know, that's what he does. He fucks with a knife. Oh. Andre Chikatilo confessing... Oh, yeah, that was him confessing to the 1982 murder of 13-year-old Lubalov Biryuk. And that, you know, just paints a picture of the exact same crime that he committed over and over again. He treated his fucking knife like his dick, you know? A Ginsu screw, man. Fuck, that would be the worst. Oh, my God. In describing his victims, Chikatilo falsely referred to them as declasse elements, whom he would lure to secluded areas before killing. In many instances, particularly with his male victims, Chikatilo stated that he would bind the victim's hands behind their back with a length of rope before he would proceed to kill them. He would typically inflict a multitude of knife wounds upon the victim, initially inflicting shallow knife wounds to the chest area before inflicting deeper stab and slash wounds, usually 30 to 50 in total, before proceeding to eviscerate the victim. He had stated become he had stated ugh, he had become adept to avoiding the spurts of blood from his victims' bodies as he inflicted the knife wounds and inviscerations upon them, and would regularly sit or squat beside his victims until their heart had stopped beating. Adam that adding that the victims' cries, the blood and agony gave Andre a, I mean, this is his words. They gave me a certain relaxation and a certain pleasure. When questioned as to why most of his victims' eyes had been stabbed or slashed, but not enucleated as his earlier victims had been, Chikatilo stated that he initially believed in an old superstition that the image of a murderer is left imprinted upon the eyes of the victims. However, he stated in later years he had become convinced that this was simply an old wives' tale that he had ceased to gouge out the eyes of the victims. And that's why I was trying to hush you down the last episode. Oh, because yeah, okay. It's super cool. I mean, not cool, but, you know, just the way that this motherfucker thought, you know. He committed so many murders that he it, it changed the way that he thought about what happened when he killed somebody. I mean, he's outright admitting to getting off on this shit. Not that we didn't know that before, but this is hearing it in his own words, and that's some monumental shit for this day and age. I mean, you think? I mean, he's got—he's kind of like uh, Richard Ramirez, and he's kind of like John Wayne Gacy because he's got—he's had some decent jobs. You know, he's been around people, um, it, and that—that that was the thing with Ramirez. Is Ramirez was totally done with society. You know, yeah, yeah, he yeah. just checked out and went on a fucking rampage. He reminds me more of like BTK, where you're just like. <laughs> He's just such a fucking smug piece of shit motherfucker. You're just like, yeah, you're right. He but is you a feel, real bitch. You're but like, you feel bad for him, you know. Like you, you don't feel bad for BTK, but you feel bad for this dude because the fact that like it is a ment- like he's a, clearly mentally fucking ill. Yeah, I mean the dude's like talking about a soft dick, but he's he looks like a soft dick. Yeah, he does. I mean, yeah, his does fucking like facial features is a soft boy, old fucking. He's gonna cock. present that old boy too. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, Chikatilo also informed Kostyev that he had often tasted the blood of his victims, to which he stated he felt chills and shook all over. He also confessed to tearing at victims' genitalia, lips, and nipples and tongues with his teeth. In several instances, Chikatilo would cut or bite off the tongue of his victim as he performed his eviscerations, 
then either or shortly after the point of death, run around the body as he held the tongue in his one hand in the air. What <laughs> the fuck, man? Although he also would be like, what? just a woody doody 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 I'm Gene Simmons. <laughs> he sticks them in his ears for earplugs. I don't want to hear nothing no <laughs> yeah, more. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Although he has also admitted that he chewed upon the exercised uterus of his female victims and the testicles of his male victims, he stated he had later discarded these body parts. Nonetheless, Chikatilo did confess to having swallowed the nipples of some of his victims. Ooh, nipples. I guess that's what's delicious, fam. If you gotta eat someone... Bite them nips. That's a Russian pepperoni, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's cured. (laughs) All the vodka just comes out of these things. On the 30th of November, Chikatilo was formally charged with each of the 34 murders he confessed to, all of which have been committed between June 1982 and November 1990. Over the following days, Chikatilo confessed to a further 22 killings, which had not been connected to the case, either because the murders had been committed outside of Rostov Oblast, because the bodies had not been found, or in the case of Yelena Zakatanova, because an innocent man had been convicted and executed for the murder, as had been the case with the victims compiled upon the initial list of charges. Chikatilo was able to provide details of these additional killings only the perpetrator could have known. One of these additional victims, 14-year-old Lubov Volobuivia, had lived in southwestern Siberia and had been killed in a sorghum field near Krasnodar Airport on the 25th of July, 1982. Chikatilo recalled that he had killed her in a millet field and that he approached the girl as she sat in the waiting rooms of the Krasnodar Airport. Volobuivia... Chikatilo stated had informed him she lived in the Siberian city of whatever the fuck that city is and was awaiting a connecting flight at the airport to visit relatives. In December 1990, Chikatilo led police to the body of Alexei Kobatov, a boy he had confessed to killing in August 1989 and whom he had buried in a woodland near the Shakathi Cemetery, providing unequivocally that he was the killer. He later led investigators to the bodies of two other victims he had confessed to killing. Three of the 56 victims Chikatilo confessed to killing could not be found or identified, but Chikatilo was charged with killing 53 women and children between 1978 and 1990. He was held in the same cell in Rostov Odon where he had been detained on the 20th of November to await trial. And boy, goddamn, oh my, what a trial it was. Now, before trial, just like in America, and it's funny how similar the legal system is everywhere across the world, even though the the Soviet Union and America are not connected in any way. I mean, they hated each other, and they did not model their system after ours. It's just kind of like the decent thing to do, I guess, is to give people this sort of trial. They give them a psychiatric evaluation. So on August 20th, 1991, after police had completed their interrogation, including reenactments of all mur- all the murders at each crime scene, Chikatilo was transferred to the Sorbisky Institute in Moscow to undergo a 60-day psychiatric evaluation to determine whether he was mentally competent to stand trial. 
Chikatilo was analyzed by a senior psychologist, Dr. Andre Takachenko. Takachenko did note Chikatilo suffered from various psychological problems, which he attributed to prenatal brain damage. Of course, the water on the brain that we had talked brain. about. <laughs> Pee brain. Pee You got piss in your head, my guy. You fucking Woo! potty head. Piss, piss, piss. Piss, piss, piss. <laughs> and, uh... All, oh, fuck. But uh, concluded on October 18th that although suffering from borderline personality disorder with sadistic features, he was fit to stand trial in December of 1991. Details of Chikatilo's arrest and a brief summary of his crimes was released to the newly liberated Russian media by police. Borderline poisonality. Poisonality, <laughs> dude. I can't. I mean, you sound like the guy from No Warning. <laughs> <laughs> Personality. <laughs> <laughs> Andre Chikatilo was brought to trial in Rostov on April 14, 1992, charged with 53 counts of murder in addition to five charges of sexual assault against minors committed when he had been a teacher. He was tried in a courtroom number five of the Rostov Provincial Court before Judge Lenoid Akubuganagakov. Jesus. Chikatilo's trial was the first major media event of liberalized post-Soviet Russia. I'm talking the biggest television spectacle that there had ever been in Russia. It's like our O.J. Simpson, man. Yeah, I mean, kind of in a way, because O.J., I think, wasn't O.J. like one of the first trials that had ever been broadcast start to finish because they had like court TV now? Yeah. This, I mean, not only was this the first trial that had ever been put out like this, but it was the first thing on fucking TV that was, like, unilaterally broadcast. Yeah. So, like, th- this is where you're getting inundated with television. So it's something magical to watch. Shortly after a psychiatric evaluation at the Serbisky Institute, investigators had conducted a press conference in which a full list of Chikatilo's crimes was released to the press alongside a 1984 identikit of the individual charged, but not the full name or photograph of the accused. So the media first saw Andre on the first day of his trial, and they brought him in in an iron cage specifically constructed in the corner of a courtroom to protect not the people from him, but to protect him from the attack of the enraged and often hysterical relatives of his victims. Mm. In the opening weeks of Chikatilo's trial, the Russian press regularly published exaggerated and often sensationalistic headlines about the murders, referring to Chikatilo being a cannibal or a maniac and to his physically resembling a shaven skull demonic individual. Which, I mean, you know, that's sensationalized, but the fucking guy was a cannibal and maniac. So, yeah, and, not... you know, but, you know, of course, they really ran. It's like satanic panic. They're like, this yeah. guy's a demon. He's from hell. He's come to eat all these motherfuckers. You know what I'm saying? The first two days of the trial were devoted to Judge Akabuza Novikov reading the long list of in. in indictments against Chikatilo. Each murder was discussed individually and on several occasions relatives present in the courtroom broke down in tears or fainted when details of the relatives' murder were revealed. After reading the indictment, Judge Akub 
Biskanov <laughs> announced to the journalist present in the courtroom his intention to conduct an open trial, stating, let this trial at least teach us something so that this will never happen anytime or anywhere again. Judge Aku Biskanov then asked Chikatilo to stand, identify himself, and provide his date and location of birth. Chikatilo complied, although this would prove to be one of the few civil exchanges between the judge and Chikatilo. Chikatilo was initially questioned about in detail about each charge upon the indictment. Responding to specific questions regarding the murder, Chikatilo often gave dismissive replies to questions, particularly when questioned as to the specific nature of the wounds he had inflicted upon his victims and the ruses he had used to entice his victims to the locations where he had killed them. He would become indignant only when he was accused of stealing personal possessions from the victims or to his retaining organs excised from the victims missing from the crime scenes, like dicks and tits. On one occasion, when asked as to his seeming indifference as to the lifestyle and gender of those whom he had killed, Chikatilo often replied, I did not need to look for them every step I took. They were there, which, you know, is just one of those things where a serial killer, they often convince themselves that these are like the dergs of society, that they're doing some type of good deed, or at least what they're doing is not as bad because these are less desirable people. Yeah. And what became a regular occurrence throughout the trial, trial judge, let's just call him Judge Aku from now on, berated Chikatilo as he questioned him in detail to the as to the charges, ordering him to shut your mouth before adding, you're not crazy, as Chikatilo's responses to questions deviated into his discussing issues such as the repression his family had endured throughout his childhood and his claiming that the charges filed against him were false. These verbal exchanges between Chikatilo and the judge would occur whether Chikatilo was cooperative or uncooperative throughout the proceedings. And the manner in which the judge questioned Chikatilo repeatedly led to Chikatilo's defense lawyer, Marat Kapabulin, to protest against the accusatory nature of the court proceedings. In the instances in which Chikatilo was uncooperative throughout the questioning, he would simply shout over the judge, denounce the court as a farce, and launch into rambling and disjointed speeches. Like he would, he had this, he kept like going down different paths. I mean, he is crazy. He is a psychopath. He's fucking nuts, man. But I think he was really trying to, of course, hone in on just being too insane. Even though he, w- there's no way he's getting out of it at this point. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. he's not going to get, you know, not guilty by way of insanity. I mean, in America, if you try to cover it up at all, that argument is out the goddamn window. And so they really don't give a fuck about him. Which like, doesn't make any sense, man. But. You know, to right. a degree, it's like, I hate to say this, but you gotta, like, you have to get rid of those people. I mean, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. But I mean, you they're know not I'm, functioning, so you're gonna yes. lock them up forever. Like, man, fuck. Exactly. You but, know? you know, it's all about the remorse. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If you don't, if you, if you know what you're doing is wrong and you don't show remorse for it, you're way more likely to go down for it. But uh, it's not remorse because of the victim, it's remorse that you got caught. You know, you yes, can, yes, you, yes, so. yes, yes, exactly. Um, and the, 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 he was doing it. He was, he said he was pregnant one time. He was like on this thing where he was, he's like, I'm lactating. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm squirting milk from my tits and like all this crazy shit. Did he? 
Uh, no, dude. You what do you can- mean, Diddy? You got men can't get pregnant. You fucking ding dong. You ain't never Diddy? seen an Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> movie Junior before. Come on, man. <laughs> I mean, but you were serious before. <laughs> no, he no. probably he probably came on his own tits. Believe it or it not, come down. Milk did not come out of his tits, and you know he would pull his dick out. To I mean, the- he had bitch tits, dude. Yeah, but he would pull his dick out. And just flop it around and be like, oh, who yeah. would want this? Hey, who you, would want this? Who would want this? You can Google it. You can, I typed in uh, Andre Ticatillo's dick. And it fucking pops up a picture of him showing his soft old pillow cock, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can, dude, you can absolutely see a picture of his dick. It's weird. Uh, these antics regularly resulted in him being returned to his cell as court proceedings continued in his absence. On April 24th, Chikatilo's defense lawyer requested that Dr. Alexander Bukanovsky be allowed to testify as to the contents of the 1985 psychological profile he had written and his subsequent consultations with Chikatilo following his arrest, adding that Dr. Bukanovsky could exert influence over Chikatilo and by extension might influence the court proceedings. This request was denied. The same day, Chikatilo began to refuse to answer any questions from the judge, the prosecutor, or his own defense lawyer. Chikatilo refused to answer any questions for three consecutive days before stating his presumption of innocence. He had, had been irregularly, irredeemably violated by the judge and that he intended to give no further testimony. The following day, trial proceedings were adjourned for two weeks. Chikatilo re- withdrew his confessions t- for six of the killings which he had been charged on the 13th of May and also claimed he had killed of four further victims who were not included upon the indictment. The same day, Chikatilo's defense lawyer again submitted a request that his client be subjected to a second psychiatric evaluation. This motion was dismissed by the judge as being groundless. In response, Kabulin rose from his seat condemning the composition of the court and arguing that the judge was unfit to continue presiding over the case. Chikatilo himself repeated his earlier remarks to the judge, making numerous rash remarks prejudicing his guilt. The prosecutor, Nikolai Gurmshminkov, vocally supported the defense's claim, stating that the judge indeed made too many such comments and had committed numerous procedural violations in his lecturing and insulting of the defendant. Garris Minko further contended that in his conducting an open trial, Chikatilo had already been effectively prejudged as being guilty by the press, before also requesting that the judge be replaced. And Judge Aku would later rule that the prosecutor be replaced instead, briefly conducting the trial in the absence of a prosecutor until a replacement prosecutor and Tully Zadaronfi could be found. On July 3rd, Judge Bukanovsky was permitted to testify as to, I'm sorry, not Judge Bukanovsky, the Dr. Bukanovsky, the original psychiatrist, was permitted to testify as to his analysis of Chikatilo, although solely in the capacity as a witness. For three hours, Bukanovsky testified as to his 1985 psychological profile, Chikatilo, and one of the conversations he held with Andre following his arrest, which had culminated in Andre's confession. Four psychiatric experts from the Serbisky Institute also testified as to the results of behavior analysis that they conducted on Andre in May. 
following the initial adjournment for the trial. All testified as to his behavior in the courtroom being strikingly at contrast to his behavior in the cell and that they considered his antics to be a calculated attempt to obtain acquittal on the grounds of insanity. On the 9th of August, the defense delivered their closing arguments before the judge. Upon beginning his 90-minute closing argument, the defense attorney, Murat, first stated he had no confidence his voice would be heard above the general outcry to kill Chikatilo before the questioning the reliability of forensic evidence presented at the trial and describing areas of Chikatilo's confessions as being baseless. Kabulin also questioned the judge's objectivity and again hearkened to the decision of the court not allow not to allow the defense to present testimony from independent psychiatrists, emphasizing that the crimes have not be committed by an individual of the same mind. So, you know, essentially, the whole case of the defense is to say he's not getting a fair shot. You know, these doctors that work for the state are saying is insane. The prosecution, the first prosecutor, you know, knew how the law worked and was upset with the judge for insulting Andre and telling him he's not crazy and telling him to shut the fuck up, basically. Um, End of the day, none of this mattered. And they were right that they had already made up their mind on whether Andre was guilty or not. And I know this is how, like, and again, the Soviet Union is new to this shit. And I know this is how that the judicial system is supposed to work. But, dude, everyone fucking knows what he did. He did it. And that's the bottom line. Um, so, at the end of the day, he was convicted right the fuck away. Uh, he had gone through several appeals. And he was sent to death row to await execution. Um, his first appeal was rejected in the summer of 1993. And then after that was, he appealed to the Supreme Court. That was rejected. And then Chikatilo filed for a final appeal for clemency with President Boris Yeltsin. And this final appeal was rejected on the 4th of January, 1994. On Valentine's Day, February 14th, 1994, they took Chikatilo from his death row to a soundproof room and he was executed with a single gunshot behind the right ear. Rest in piss! I mean, like, the whole, like, uh, trying to justify fucking anything to do with him being insane or not insane. He is just not a functioning person in society, and I don't mean that in the traditional sense. I mean, like, literally, if, you, if you're if you killing people and you're, you're invading their life and ruining what they got going on, and then you kill them, and then you fucking in turn hurt their loved ones... And you just can't stop doing it. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta go, you, baby. You gotta fucking go. Hey, hey dude. man. To be fair, that's a pretty uh, tame way of executing somebody. I think that's actually more humane than the uh, way that we do it in America. I mean, just one shot behind the ear. He had probably no idea what fucking happened. Uh, man, this is probably the longest episode we've ever recorded. Before Buddy reads the songs, I'm gonna give our Patreon shoutouts. These people are helping us produce these show. They're on the highest tier. Man, we appreciate you guys so much. I love everyone that listens. I appreciate you spending time with us, especially for a long episode like this. But, man, Chikatilo is a lot to unwrap. And it, I was just fascinated by the whole thing. And I had a lot of fun doing it. I hope you guys did, too. And I thank you so much for going down this road with us. Uh, I want to shout out Cat McCorkle, Bobby Henderson, as always, Matt Mess, as always, and our guy Ryan Parker, as always. And hey, if you if you guys are listening right now, um, again, work on those suggestions. You don't have to do it by any means, but uh, you're definitely 
earn the earn the right to tell us an episode to do uh, a song to do hit me up i'm always open to talk um i'm gonna let buddy go ahead and read the lyrics to the song we synced up this week and it's a band called cranium and it's like a slam death song and the uh Slam death. I sound like your grandma. Yeah, you kids listening to the slam death down in the basement there with the bumping into each other and the breakdowns and the chuggalugs. And the name of the song is Human Flesh. Waking up at night with unstoppable quivers. Raw meat, the only way to stop my shiver. Keep their remains in the fridge for their next fix. Don't want old bitches. I prefer young chicks. Nibble on her perky tits like strawberry jelly. Extinguish the hunger in my famished belly. Chewing my way below her mangled waist. Her clit and labia with such delicious taste. Mm. Munching on fingers as if they were fries. Using Using a fork to peel out her swollen (laughs) bloodshot eyes. Need to consume humans to achieve my high. My ultimate trip comes as you slowly suffer and die, shivering in abstinence of human flesh devourment. Fuck yeah. They also have a song called She-Male Throat Fuck. That's a great- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think that's the right term for a transitioned individual. Uh, thank you guys so much. That's how you start, though. <laughs> for hanging out with fuck, dude. For hanging out with you, piece of shit. Yeah, piece of shit. Uh, uh, please get a Instagram. I'm is gonna be the. That's what matters the most to social media for us. Fuck everything else. Of course, we're death metal dicks across all social media. Hit the Instagram one. That's the best one. Uh, personally, on Instagram, I'm smells like Teen Chris. Buddy is Lloyd Have Mercy 666. We will respond to you. Absolutely. Yes. I love to talk. Hit us up. Facebook, K-R-I-S-T-O-F-E-R-M Pierce. Buddy Lloyd, spelled exactly how it sounds with one L. Follow Pro Pirate Media. Mark Johnson produces the podcast. Does a great job. That's across all social media. Guys, serve Satan. Satan's inside of your body. God's yeah. inside of your body. Why don't you use the power that you have within you to manufacture the perfect future for yourself? We'll see you guys in Northwest Arkansas, January 28th. God damn, am I looking forward to it. We'll see you guys next week, too. Hail Satan. <laughs>